Since 1971, Beauty O Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family-owned and operated mail-order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used, and rare birding and ornithology books in the world and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for, and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am Nate Swick. I am the host of this program. And before we get into the episode proper, which is an excellent one and very springy, uh, I would like to take the time here to announce that we at the ABA will be getting around this spring. We will be at the biggest week in American birding in Northwest Ohio. We have a couple ABA folks that will be there. Kelly Smith, our headquarters manager, which is a very mundane title for someone who is so critical to making this organization run. But she'll be there working the ABA booth, leading trips, as will I during the week. I don't know what trips I will be doing yet. I've had a couple folks message me and ask about that. I, I have no idea. I, I don't usually find out until the week before the festival itself, but I will be around, hopefully on the boardwalk a little, certainly that last Friday before I have to head home. Come by, say hello. I hope to have some stickers with the new logo I can send you away with one of those or two of those. And also, we at the ABA are excited to announce the launch of our new ABA Community Weekend Events. These are free events to be held around the ABA area. They will feature a couple local field trips, some workshops, and a birds and beers type social event that will be comfortable for those who are either too young to drink alcohol or not inclined to do so. We want to make sure everyone is welcome. Our first event will be held this spring in Toronto, Ontario, April 29th and 30th. You can sign up for that now at the ABA website. We will also be hosting another one in June in the Bay Area, San Francisco area. That will be the weekend of June 16th through the 18th. I am planning on being at that one, if that motivates you at all. There will be a limited number of spots available. Again, it is free, but you will need to sign up to make sure that we have enough room for everybody. There is more information on the ABA website for the Toronto event. More to come on later weekends soon. Link in the show notes. Under the show, spring means warblers, vireos, orioles, and confusing flycatchers. Thankfully, writer Sinti Lee and illustrator Andrew Sullivan have teamed up to create what will almost certainly be one of the more useful little books in your birding library. They're the author and illustrator of Princeton University Press's new Flycatchers of North America and Pitanax and Peewees, and they join me to talk about what birders need to know about this famously confusing group all after this week's Rare Bird. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the end of March, beginning of April, 2023. An update on a bird I talked about last week. There are some questions about the identity of the reported Eurasian spoonbill in South Florida last week. While the species certainly is a reasonable find in South Florida due to records in the Caribbean, some have suggested that this bird is an exceptionally pale, rosy spoonbill. Unfortunately, the photos and video we have seen so far do not actually rule that out. So we'll see where this goes from here. But we do have a first to report this week, New York's first 
record of glaucus winged gull was found in the Bronx. This is definitely one of the rarer gulls east of the Rockies and even more noteworthy that the bird was on the coast, wherein most eastern records of the species are well, well inland. But it's worth noting that Ohio's first glaucus winged gull was discovered early this year. So this is a species that could be around and could very well easily slide under the radar of many birders. It has been an exceptional year for brambling in the Northwest, and at least one of these wandering Asian finches made it as far southeast as Kansas this year, Dickinson County, which represents a second record for that state. This bird was seen at a residential feeder, the owner of which would prefer to keep the location private. These are the recent highlights, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash RBA. You can also follow along with all the rare bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and on ABA Community. Birders have long considered the tyrant flycatchers, in particular the impidinac species and peewees, to be one of the most difficult identification concerns in North America. And while there have been breakthroughs in birding journals and magazines for the longest time, there was no real resource that consolidated all that work and focused specifically on this frequently confounding group of species. But no longer, the Field Guide to North American Flycatchers, Impidinacs, and Peewees is here. Cinti Lee and Andrew Birch, respectively, the author and illustrator of the guide, are here to calm your fears about empids. Welcome to you both. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, congratulations on the book. It is um, it's really fun, which is not an adjective I would generally assign to this group of birds. Um, it, it's been a long time in the making. Uh, when did you first start thinking about creating creating a book for about empids and peewees, too? I, for, I for, always forget the peewee. <laughs> well, um I guess, uh, I mean, Andy and I have been for the last, gosh, 20 years working on um, articles of uh, challenging bird identifications, loons, mm-hmm. uh, immature orioles, and peewees, actually, and pippets. So we're, I'm probably leaving some out. but um, <laughs> It's a lot. A lot but of, I guess we, we've always, people. both of us have always wanted to tackle empids for a while. And so off and on for the last 20 years, we've been working on it. And so it's a long project. But I guess it was really in a, the just coming up to COVID where things mm-hmm. kind of sped up. And um, I guess, I don't know, Andy, do you want to say anything on that part? It kind of sped up right around COVID times, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, you, you had started... Uh, you'd made like a little sort of fold out pamphlet, I think, that you'd maybe done, you know, after your experiences at High Island and try to help sort of birders. I don't know if that was through Houston Audubon or not, but um, I feel like that was sort of the genesis for it, which was pre-COVID. Um, yeah. And then, yes, COVID definitely, we were suddenly locked in our houses. Yeah. And we, we, we had no choice but to try and keep ourselves active. And I think we took that as a sign that we should really just actually stop talking about things and start putting things down, you know, on, on, on paper. So, yeah, it was, it was actually turned out to be a happy, a happy sort of accident, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a theory about bird about authors just in general it seems it seems like early 2023 and late 2022 have seen this explosion of oh, is that right? books. <laughs> yeah i mean there's been a ton of them that have come across my desk and it is it, i think it is largely because all these uh all these people working on these books or had these seeds of these ideas um were suddenly faced with a lot of time to work on them and now boom like we're getting we're seeing this explosion 2022 is a slow year 2023 is already like off the charts so many good bird books coming out so there you go (laughs) um what do each of you find interesting about about this group of birds 
I always enjoy uh, the mental challenge with mm -hmm. birding. So I find it more interesting to try and stretch myself a little bit. And, and this group is, you know, the, the epitome of that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I guess I love the idea that even in, you know, I do a lot of five mile radius birding. I, I mm -hmm. actually like the idea that there's groups of birds turning up in my five mile radius that I can't actually ID even though I've been birding my entire <laughs> yeah. life, yeah. you know, 45 years of birding and I still can't actually ID some birds or I'm, I'm a little hesitant about it. So I love that. I love that challenge that just even on a local level that I, I struggle with these. And so, um, and I'm actually very lucky here in, in LA, you know, we have, um, you know, recently sort of discovered over the last sort of 10 years, you know, Bear Divide, this amazing migration place and various places in the Antelope Valley where, where you can actually see like all, all of the Western empids all in sort of one place, um, which really gives you, you know, great education on, on seeing the differences. And, and they really are sort of beautiful. The Western ones seem a, sometimes a little less colorful than, than the ones in the East, but they really are a beautiful group of birds and a, and a great challenge actually to illustrate as well. There's, there's not really plumage i think the book sort of emphasizes it's more than plumage and you should mm -hmm. sort of forget about plumage in some cases but there's actually a sort of holistic structure behavior um and and you know in, in fact it's easier sometimes to see that in the field than it is in the hand you know we get a lot of feedback like i've been banding for 20 years you can't even separate these things in the hand and i think yeah. I was, it's actually harder in the hand than it is in the field and i've certainly experienced that being at a banding station and everyone's looking at a bird and it's pronounced as a species and everyone takes a photo <laughs> yeah. and then they release it and it calls like the other species and you <laughs> see it in the bush and go, aha, yeah, no, it does look like the other species. So yeah. it's great. Yeah. It's a great challenge. And, and, uh, you know, they are actually beautiful in their own way. I know they all look the same, but they are, they're beautiful. <laughs> there are, there are subtle differences. Yeah. I mean, Andy pretty much said it. They, I mean, it's one of the last frontiers of uh, American ornithology or field ornithology and mm -hmm. difficult to identify. And I think Andy and I, we just love that, that challenge as many birders do. And um, just the subtle differences in plumage contrast structure, it really pushes you to your kind of limits in, in how you uh, perceive and observe birds and um, just makes you a better birder. So, you know, when we put this together, we were also a little worried that, boy, people are going to start thinking we're experts and we're going <laughs> to identify every single one of these. But, you know, um, we, we still make mistakes ourselves, but it's that challenge, I think, of, of just seeing all these subtle differences that attracts us. And they're beautiful birds, as Andy said. Mm -hmm. For Andrew, um, you know, this group of birds is notorious for being extremely visually similar. You, got have, you, you both have kind of touched on that um, already. Um, how do you as an artist sort of impart all these very similar illustrations with the sort of individuality you need to think about identifying them? Yeah, I, I mean, certainly that's been the, the common retort when I've sort of mentioned the book to other bird artists is sort of you get that look of like, you're, you're absolutely insane. What are you doing? <laughs> um, and, I, and I must admit, you know, the, the release of this sort of fills me with terror a little bit. Uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, scientific illustration is one of those things where it's, it's, it's a little bit removed from art. For me, when I create art, it's I'm painting a landscape or something and I, I finally finish it and you don't get a bunch of notes. 
uh, obviously with scientific <laughs> illustration, you, you know, you're, you're tempted to try and be artistic and try and add interesting shape and form and shadow. Um, but actually, that's not really what you need to do. And, and, and in many cases, you need to try and create something that's very vanilla um, and, and, and fairly generic. And, and you don't want to go too crazy with shadows and, and, and all those sorts of things that you tend to sort of feel are, are, are the more artistic things. Um, and so, you know, it, it is definitely a, quite a challenge. I think one of, you, you know, there's lots of there's lots of tools available to to birders and new birders these days, and there's AI and there's lots of photographic guides. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, this is one group where I think perhaps having illustrations is a more useful way to go because I think um you you know it's very difficult to do an apples to apples comparison between one species and the next if you've got one that's maybe slightly overexposed it's in bright sun the mm -hmm. other one's in in the in the shade of a tree or maybe the other one's got a lot, a lot of leaf shine on it um so in terms of creating the illustrations that you know it's a combination of looking at skins and looking at lots and lots of photos and trying to weed out those photos that we think are a little bit overexposed or underexposed or have extra leaf shine and, and try and come up with a fairly sort of vanilla um, look to everything. Um, and, and I needed to be careful that I didn't try to simplify and oversimplify so that you know, we, we certainly don't want the takeaway to be that, oh, you know, it's a Hammond's flycatcher because it's got a small bill and a, and a, a yeah. steep forehead. It's like, no, there's, there's a lot to look at. Um, and so it's very important that I, I try to illustrate the, the, the maybe the ideal classic example, but also mm -hmm. lots of sort of variations. And, and there right. is, we've got some very yellow Hammonds and, and, and Hammonds with pale bills. And, and you know, there's, there's try to sort of just exaggerate that there, there really is or emphasize rather that there really is a lot of variety. And, and you know, there's definitely a challenge on the on the illustration side of things. So I think the goal was to <clears throat> not oversimplify but at the same time, try to um, show that there are differences because, you know, obviously that, you know, it's that what is that Internet meme of like they're just the same picture. Obviously, that's <laughs> over, over and over again. You know, yeah. Pages on this book, you know, they're the same. Uh, yes. and in fact, I think there is, you know, there's a little typographic error on the table of contents where I think uh, I wasn't going to bring that up. But I didn't. Like page <laughs> I didn't in the order spot. And I think, you know, people have joked where if the publisher can't get it right, well, hell, what, <laughs> what <just> yeah. the, <laughs> no so, you know, I think we're acutely aware that, you, you know, it's very easy to look at this book and go, well, they're, they're just the same picture. But we, yeah. we, we obviously <laughs> try to, there's a lot of arrows, you know, unlike some yeah. build guys, we have a lot of text around the picture and there's a lot of yeah. arrows and things pointing at things. Um, but it very much is a holistic approach. And, and um, at the beginning of the book, we actually have a lot of just like black and white sketches, which mm -hmm. is like forget about the plumage, just focus on structure as well. It's one of the tools. It's not the only tool, but it's one of the tools. Yeah, that is one of the nice things about a book like this is that you can really spread out, you right. know, with those individual species. You know, in a traditional field guide, you get maybe one, two. If right. you're lucky, there's space for three. And right. this yeah. one, you can do a, like a whole suite of illustrations of a, an individual species and show you really show you the variations and what you're dealing with in the right. field. That's right. that's nice. It need flycatchers needed that. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things that Cinti you should talk about this now, which is the maps. I think yeah, on, the maps on are the big, on the big field guides. There's only so much room for the maps, but mm -hmm. these species in the spring are very, very faithful to mm -hmm. arrival dates, and and um, 
you know, we have maps here that are very large and show on a week by week basis where in the state they should be generally arriving. And I think those maps are as important, perhaps more important than the illustrations in some cases. And mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're in Southern California and you're not sure if you've got a, a pale Western wood peewee or willow flycatcher, and the two are quite similar in many ways, if it's the second or third week in April, you can probably go to Vegas and put all your money on it being uh, a wood <laughs> and it won't be a willow. And, and, you know, obviously it's dangerous to ID things solely on, on the status and distribution because you obviously could overlook extra limitals, but, but it's incredibly useful and will get you 99% of the way there. Yeah. I mean, the maps are really beautiful. I mean, they're, they're big and I, I love a big map in a field guide. And um, as, as you say, you know, those, those are the aspects of identification that I think sometimes when people, especially novice birders, they focus on the on the illustrations more than kind of the supplementary stuff. And, you know, it's it's part of the whole birding experience, that holistic birding experience of taking in all this information and using that to make an identification. And, and the maps are critical and, and the, the uh, vocalization illustrations as well. Um, all that stuff is in here and it's, it's all really neat. Yeah, I mean, as Andy said, it's really, uh, as you said too, is the holistic approach to identification and not focused on one single field mark. So in the case of flycatchers, it is, of course, structure, plumage contrast, seasonal status, distribution, uh, that sort of things, and then vocalizations. And uh, we spend the first third of the book kind of... Uh, it's not your traditional field guide where, you know, you go straight into each species. The first third of the book is how to actually use these or see or hear or visualize these different uh, features and calibrate your eyes. And then also that we have the same language yeah, uh, when we're yeah, talking to each so other. Important. You know, one person's long tail is another person's short tail. That's exactly right. <laughs> all that. So, um, yeah. And then in making the maps, um, of course, we relied heavily on uh, citizen science eBird data and then you just kind of compile all of that and painstakingly put these maps together on GIS. Um, and for us, even, it was uh, uh, revealing. You know, I learned some things that I didn't know when you start to look at the granularity of migration. Are these birds going up the West Coast? Are they crossing the Gulf of Mexico or around the Gulf of Mexico? What do they do in the fall? There are subtle differences in where they migrate through that, um, uh, as Andy said, uh, and the timing that can help you in identifying or ruling out uh, certain birds. You know, that's that's probably one of the biggest things that's changed in the time since you started thinking about this. And now when the book comes out, is this proliferation of all this uh, community citizen science data that is out there yeah. that is accessible to everybody, not only the maps, but, you know, Macaulay Library with its hundreds and hundreds of images of each of the impeded and peewee species that must have been an enormous resource that really sort of, I guess, sort of changed the game. Did it did it I, affect how you approach this this book in 2023? Well, I, you know, I don't know if we um, consciously thought about that. But when I when you asked that question, I think, of course, if we had tried to do this 15 years ago, um, it would have been much harder to do the maps, probably much harder to do the illustrations, um, you know, even working from skins that, because you're so much yeah. worried about gestalt, the way the bird holds itself. Right, right, right. They're all lying flat on their backs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think um, maybe we hit it at the right time. Uh, yeah. There's so many resources out there. And of course, 
they're all out there. And you could ask, why do you need this book? Uh, uh, anybody could just go to all those. But I think our goal was to try to, um, you know, digest all of that information mm-hmm. to a small handbook that you can almost put in your pocket and um, make it accessible to even beginners. Maybe they don't have to identify every flycatcher, but at least know what to look for, how to look at the flycatcher. So that that was our goal. I, I agree, Nate, you know, the, the Macaulay and iNaturalist, you know, just this repository now is total game changer when you're doing illustrations. And I think back to stuff that I was doing 20 years ago or plus and you know, having to rely on filled notes or at the most you'd maybe have 10 photographs or the author yeah. would have a few things, a couple of photos they'd send you and birds in the desert that are blown out and you have no idea what they really look like <laughs> and you have a look at some skins and it and, and there was a lot of like guessing guessing work going on and just yeah. now, you know, you can li- literally pull up hundreds of photos and, and weed out. And there's sometimes you have to be careful. There's not all the yeah. IDs are correct as well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. for MPs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, no, no, yeah. Where people are chiming in with the IDs, there's some there that might be questionable. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, it, just having that access to, to all of those images is, is absol- an absolute game changer, I think. And, yeah. You know, I think there's been a lot of advancement in identification based on, on you know, just these internet repositories now. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, what have been the, the biggest breakthroughs in field ornithology of empids and peewees in the last few decades? Just from my experience, I live in the southeast. We occasionally get uh, winter wintering empids. And so the question always comes up is, is this a least flycatcher that's just kind of hanging out? Or is this something cooler from from out west? And um, I guess over the years, I've, I've noticed a lot of ways in which we approach these birds that are different. Um, things like primary projection and primary spacing and all these little things that I don't remember. Uh, maybe I just wasn't aware of it when I started birding, but now seem to be like all part of the toolkit for trying to to suss out the identification of these birds. Um, how much has that changed how we approach these birds in your eyes as people that have been thinking about this far more deeply than I have? Well, I, I think... Um... You know, MPID ID, if you go back 50 years, a lot of people would say you, you couldn't do it visually. Yeah. yeah. Um, yet, you know, starting in the 80s and going to 90s, I think a lot, of, Ken Kaufman's work uh, probably brought in a lot on looking at uh, gestalt and primary projection and uh, tail length, uh, shapes of bills. And um, so I think, you know, we've uh, kind of brought all that together um, do we have anything fundamentally new? I, I think there are a few subtle things that we brought in that have been discussed fairly recently, but one is like wing panel contrast, uh, crown shape or particularly forehead angle, um, and just different ways of describing or quantifying contrast, like wing bar contrast. Um, I think you know, experienced birders may know, oh yeah, the, these are strong wing bars, but what does that mean to yeah, exactly. someone who's not a, seeing, looking at MPIDs all the time? So I think us putting uh, kind of a, 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 a key or a guide mm-hmm. to uh, what's a strong contrast versus a weak contrast. Um, another one is uh, tail width. It doesn't work for all flycatchers, but uh, Acadian flycatcher kind of has a wider tail and um, uh, least flycatcher has a narrower tail. And I don't know about you. I mean, usually uh, least and, and uh, Acadians down here in the Southeast aren't really a problem. But every once yeah. in a while, right. 
you know, you get it, the bad lighting, you can't tell, but then all of a sudden you see the tail and it, it's, uh, the width of the tail gives you a hint. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to add anything, Andy, on there. Yeah, I mean, it's just, obviously there's a lot of great work has already gone on, you know, there's Pyle and Heindel and others did work on yellow bellied versus, you know, the Western group. And obviously Ken Kaufman's work has sort of set, set the bar. And I think, yeah, it's a, it's a compilation of a lot of work that's gone on before plus some of our sort of personal observations as well as and, and, and just trying to put it together all in one sort of place so that you have, you know, one handy sort of guide um, to this. You know, we should say that one, I think one of the inspirations for the sort of the size of the book, because I think in general these days, a lot of like big books was was um, there were these Japanese field guys, the Ujihara, right. yeah. um, you know, um, shorebirds and gulls, etc. And, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago, some of them started coming out, beautiful illustrations and in these small formats. And I think and that was a great inspiration to us of like, look, you can really simplify things and, and um, it, it, you know, make things maybe a little more um, accessible just on, on, on the concentration of just a subject in a small book. Yeah, so the whole, uh, the, yeah, the whole um, layout style was very purposefully done it's a very clean looking book. And as I said, you know, there's a lot of space to spread out. There's a lot of room for these large illustrations and large, um, you know, maps and large um, spectrograms of the of the birds that really lets you see them really well. And um, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I think it's the fantastic. Font is, the font is large as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, We're both getting older, so we can't see it. I got this great book, but I can't read it. <laughs> telling us so you know we, we try to make sure you know because certainly our, our, our my eyes are going i appreciate it. <laughs> that's, that's right yeah. um you know so this book comes out in, in 2023 there's a, a proposal to the north american taxonomy authorities to to lump what used to be known as western flycatcher currently pacific slope and cordilleran flycatcher i'm curious um both what you sort of think about this proposal based on your experience working on this book and um how maybe that I, I know people have been talking about a lump of Western flycatchers for decades now, uh, practically since they were split. And um, how does that sort of inform your approach for those two species in particular in this book? Well, um, I mean, Andy and I, we're not, we're not real ornithologists or you know, taxonomists. <laughs> so I think it's, it's not our business to comment uh, in that on those details, but yeah, it certainly makes our life easier for illustrating. <laughs> and uh, we, as you can Burning see in the book, <laughs> We do. Andy has an illustration of Cordian. There are subtle differences, um, but there's also a lot of overlap. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, Andy did this uh, compiled a lot of the calls. Maybe you want to say something about that on the spectrograms. Yeah, it's you know, it's obviously been noted. You know that there's there's some overlap on the calls, or there's like cordillerans that are kind of Pacific slopish. So you know, mm-hmm. we spent quite a bit of time using Zeno Canto. Uh, was, mm-hmm. was critical for this, you know, and really for all of the calls. Um, you know, there's a huge amount of work. Arch McCallum has done a huge amount of work on on MPID uh, calls and songs and Nathan Peeplo as well. And so obviously using that as the base and then using Zeno Canto where you can download and, you know, all the all the spectrograms are actually illustrations as well, as, as you've noted. Um, and, you know, yeah, that was an interesting exercise of seeing how, you know, in, in the very sort of core range of Cordillera, mm-hmm. and they give that classic call, you know, if you 
in sort of Arizona, et cetera. And as you sort of move up into that area of overlap, there is sort of in this book a sort of a sample platter yeah. and you can kind of see how it changes basically into Pacific Slope. And there's a whole range there of birds that you would give calls that are pretty equivocal and you may not know. <laughs> Yeah, what continuous yeah. spectrum. It appears. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that seems to be what the science shows too. Well, I guess we would that. be uh, we would support that. I uh, suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The next the next edition can have uh, have that corrected. But um, so you know, what do birders who might be intimidated or overwhelmed uh, when approaching Pinanax flycatchers and peewees uh, need to know about this group of species that perhaps isn't necessarily common knowledge? Well, I, I think um, for this book, if they, they pick up this book, what I would uh, advise is just foc first focus on the, the first third of the book. And there we pretty much teach you how to see and how to look at the flycatcher, not worry so much about putting a name to mm -hmm. it. Often if you f focus on that first, um, you know, by the time you, you start sorting things out, the bird has flown and you, you realize, oh, yeah. I darn, I didn't look at the wing bars or I didn't yeah. look at the wing panel. And so, uh, you know, those illustrations in the front that Andy did are, are great for uh, beginning birders just to calibrate uh, their eyes and how to see the bird. And I think, you know, our goal was that of this holistic approach was that it would also help you be a better birder in general mm -hmm. um, through uh, studying the flycatcher. So, Hopefully it's not too intimidating. Uh, our goal is that we should make this uh, accessible to beginning birders. Actually, when we first started, um, we have this, uh, I forgot what we call it, it's a matrix, a ID matrix in there. And I would test that out on beginning birders here in Texas where I am and some of them, the ones I tested out didn't have experience on the flycatchers, but you just show them photos and you ask them, well, is it, a round, rounded crown, steep crown, crested crown. And, you know, human eyes, we can all see that. And so they mm -hmm. score, they score the bird and all those features. And in the end, 80% uh, of the time, they got the ID right if they use mm. our scorecards. So, so it's accessible to beginning birders. You just have to just get trained on how to see it. Yeah. Huh. I think a real Absolutely. game changer, obviously, is, is the digital photography that's now yeah. accessible. <laughs> To any anybody, you know, you know, I think you know, digiscoping was great for shorebirds and gulls and things like that. But but for flycatchers and things, you know, you now have these point and shoot cameras that give you great focal length, and and really, I think most birders seem to carry them around with mm -hmm. them these days. So I, I I feel like you know, you get something confusing, take as many photos as you can. You can come back and have the luxury of home of really studying you know primary projection and tail length and width and all of those things that would have been very difficult to assess quickly in the field that's right and and then of course everybody has a smartphone these days so you can record it and and i know you know spectrograms even for me it's a bit of a turnoff it looks incredibly technical and something that 15 years ago was only you know exclusive to those sort of keen almost professional recordist but now you know merlin shows you the spectrogram in real yeah. time on your phone you can upload it to ebird you upload it to xenocanto they create spectrograms and and so those sorts of things are now within reach of of everybody and, and you could probably get a mystery flycatcher take a few photos get a recording and now have some confidence that you you've you you know you've made a correct id yeah yeah it does occur to me that the sort of the the 
increased focus on some of these more subtle field marks like wing panel and primary projection stuff has been in concert with the increase in quality of optics, uh, right. both in terms of camera and binoculars as well. Like, that could when, be, I, yeah. when I think about, you know, the quality of photos back in the 80s and 90s, like it was, it was, it was very poor <laughs> in a lot of cases. Right. You had to be a very good photographer to get something that you'd want to put you know, want to share publicly. And right. now, you know, people are taking all sorts of photos and, and you can see such detail of some of these birds and, and get the identification. Um, it's really, it's really fascinating. And, and, you know, it opens the door for a lot of uh, people who might not have been interested in that sort of birding to, to, you know, take some steps into it. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Impids and peewees get the most attention in terms of their uh, inscrutability, I suppose, but they're certainly not the only flycatcher group that is that is difficult. Um, do you have plans to expand this series beyond impids and peewees? Is there a, a Myarchus flycatcher book on the uh, yeah, on the horizon? Well, we we just turned that one in. Oh uh, yeah, nice. Yeah, <laughs> Myarchus and kingbirds. Perfect. Um, I, I, originally, I, you know, Princeton wanted us to do all of them uh, yeah. at one time, and of course, what we had in mind were these small um, booklets, like Andy was saying, inspired by the, the Ujihara's work. And but we also knew that if we tried to do it all at once, we would never finish. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Myarchus and and uh, kingbirds is. Uh, uh, into the publishers and uh, maybe it'll be out next year uh, oh, about exciting. the same time hopefully um, but then there's a third volume where uh, it'll be all of this combined plus all the other fly catchers in, in North America and then we'll have photographs um, skins and so forth habitat oh, cool. photos so we we consciously with these two handbooks we uh, really just wanted to have illustrations and largely because it's really hard to compare uh, photographs, uh, different lightings, um, mm -hmm. said. So, illustrations are quite superior for field guides, I think, um, and, and especially the, the way Andy does them. They're they're really uh, ideal. That's fantastic. I look forward to that. Uh, Cinti Lee and Andrew Birch are the author and illustrator of the new field guide to North American flycatchers, impidinax, and peewees. It is from our friends at Princeton University Press. You can find it wherever you find bird books, including Beautia Books, where. I should say, ABA members do get a discount. Uh, thanks to you both. It is a it is a really neat book. Uh, I can't wait to put it to use this spring. Great. Thank you, Nate. Thank you very much. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, you know by now that the best way to support it is to join the American Birding Association. Not only do you get to support us here, but you also get a lot of great benefits like our fantastic magazines, discounts to partners like Beautio Books, Corner Lab of Ornithology, and the knowledge that you are helping build a better birding community here and around the world. You can find out how to do that at aba.org slash join. Special shout outs this week to Eleanor Barron of Boulder, Colorado, Colin and Hannah Thompson of Oakland, California, Brianna Hurden of Seattle, Washington, Brandon Hoff of Yellow Springs, Ohio, Maria Membrano of Albany, California, Helen and Dave Sevier, of Plains, Montana, and Francisco Mondragon of Bellflower, California, who notes that he is an, an applied behavior analyst, and that is also an ABA, not to be confused though, with, the, with the bird people. All of whom recently joined the ABA and noted the podcast as the reason for doing so. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Welcome to the ABA. 
executive director of the ABA and executive producer of this podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who remembers a birder she knew by the name of Herman, who was so good at identifying silent contupus that he gained the moniker Pee Wee Herman. Technical production is by John Lowry, who is known among Michigan birders as I Am Ped because he's something of a flycatcher louver. You can find us online at ABA.org, on social media, most everywhere, as American Birding Association on Twitter. We are at ABA. I had a friend, Tyler was his name, who found this rare wintering empid at the end of this two-mile walk on the coast. And he, he wanted to digiscope it, but he forgot his scope, so he went back for it. And I didn't expect to see him for like half an hour. But, but literally 10 minutes later, he was back with a scope, getting photos, and I asked him how he was able to get to the car and back so quickly. And he looked at me and said, Tyranid. Mm. Questions, comments can come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swig. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, everybody. See you next week.